Hello everyone and welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Saints Radio. And we think that we have been able to have our issues from last week rectified in regard to our broadcasting. And we apologize for the interruption of our standing appointment. We greatly appreciate your grace to us in that, but it's great to be here with you today. This is our obligatory uh, weather forecast. It's, it's a little toasty up here in the booth, so I've got the air conditioning going. Um, so if you hear a little bit of a roar, don't text Monica and say, I'm hearing a roar. Well, good. Your ears are working. The air conditioning is on. Yeah, I talked I talk to the kids in California a couple days ago, and they got snow <laughs> like two days ago again. Wow. Isn't that crazy? They have to wear woolens when they go out surfing. <laughs> oh, it's just so bizarre to me. Yeah, it is. That is amazing. That has to be a sign of something from the Lord. <laughs> With California, you never know what kind of sign those, that is. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's certainly true. Um, gosh. I, I, I don't want to go. I know we haven't even chit-chatted yet. But boy, is our nation and our world in a wacky condition. And, uh, you know, I over the years I would hear preachers talk about our world has never been in the awful shape it's in. And there were some bad things that would go on, but just in, from my perspective, in the years I've been paying attention, we're seeing just bizarre, bizarre activities, demonic activities in the highest levels. And, uh, this morning I was reading something and there was a quote, forgive me for not remembering, but there was a quote out of the Dick, out of Charles Dickens book, A Tale of Two Cities, where I think it, the very first sentence is, it was the best, best of times and the worst, and of, the worst times. of times. And in so many ways, that's what we're living because for us, in an insulated kind of way, it's the best of times. I mean, we have honestly unprecedented visitations of the presence of the Lord. And, and yet, on the outside, it's absolute, just, it's like the great and terrible day of the Lord. I mean, it almost sounds like a contradiction and yet it's reality and so how do we how do we traverse and overcome through that i don't know i think about <clears throat> when jesus rose and he went to meet with his disciples and of course, I mean, none of us really know the climactic days that they were living in. I mean, it's described in historical studies and, and in the Bible that 
I mean, they were they were running for their lives in a lot of ways because of their following Jesus. And, you know, they would hide away in the upper room or wherever they would hide. And But when Jesus came to see them, the first thing he said to them is peace. He declared peace over them. And I definitely think that is a sustaining word for us. Is what did what did he say? <laughs> no, no. I mean, remember. I mean, he walked in and he said. Yeah. He he declared peace over them. I'm just not remembering the phrase, which I'm so sorry about. But uh, I just think that that's profound. And so there's so much power in that because you can only imagine what they were what they were experiencing so peace peace be with you didn't say peace be still he said that to the ocean to the water well the, the point is is that he promised us peace in the world you'll have tribulation um, and, and I think that's a that's an amazing thing where you know you know what peace means when you contrast it with the battle that got you to that point and I, and I think that is also in Luke 24, 36. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And they were terrified terrified and affrighted. Yeah. Suppose that they had seen a spear. He said, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see for spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me now. And, um, but just to think about, I mean, the essence of his presence, I mean, that was his resurrected presence, right? Mm -hmm. And not that they didn't believe. I mean, they were actually living this out, the miracle of him watching him be crucified his spirit going, I mean, dying and then being put in the tomb and and then he walks in you know, none of us know how we would respond in that situation but the point is, is that peace comes with his presence and his presence is with us yeah. and so no matter what we're facing, no matter what we see on CNN or Fox News or whatever it might be whatever we're experiencing in climatic, climatic scenarios on the earth, that presence is our peace. Yeah. And you mentioned that, that scripture about tribulation. How many times have we quoted that? And it's so funny that you said that because this morning I was actually meditating on that verse. Because I was processing just some of the, the ways that I my spirit is feeling and the way that I've been processing these last couple of weeks. And the best way I can describe it is feeling kind of 
enclosed, like pressed upon, both in my heart and in my spirit. And when you look at the word tribulation, and we've studied about this, we've taught about this, it, it, it literally means that pressing in. It's almost like feeling suffocated and, and yet have courage. You know, be of good cheer, and that means to have courage because he has overcome. I remember studying about that Nikeo, and I remember doing that. This is back when I didn't know anything about anything or hardly anything about anything other than I love the Lord. And the Lord led me to study about that whole principle of overcoming in the Nikeo. And and I stood up in Sunday school when it was in Peace Chapel. So it was a long time ago. And I was teaching about this word, Nikeo, and, and you brought it to my attention that it was where we get the word for Nice. And we were actually scheduled to go into Nice like that week. And so God leads us in such curious ways, but we were going in to do activations. Remember all those activations that we did when we first went in there? And uh, anyway... He has overcome. We just have to endure through it with courage. It's interesting that uh, this uh, cavalcade of peace after Jesus rose, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples she would seen the Lord. The same day in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. And then, again on that same day, he says, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Thomas was not with them. So eight days later, it says, after eight days, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. A whole lot of peace going on. Eight days later, well, they're shut up again. Which would have been, okay, if that's Sunday, so it would have been Monday, I guess. Monday or Tuesday. If it's eight days later. On Monday, Jesus came calling. Something else that's interesting, not to change the subject, but I was recently reading about when they, when they, you know, Peter and John, they had a race to the tomb. Yeah. I always thought that was so funny. They were trying to outrun each other. And Peter stood at the door and John walked in. And, or at the door, at the entrance. But it, it talks about how his grave clothes had fallen off, but his, the wrapping on his face had been folded nicely and was laying there. And I, I don't know, I just find that so interesting. That, was it the angels that folded them? I guess we don't know, but it's like the handkerchief. I know you talked about the handkerchief yeah. before that was that was 
cloaking his face. But it just, it's just so interesting. The Bible is so fascinating. Yeah, that is a good question. I know the Catholics probably have a lot to say about it, especially those guys that live in Turin. Uh, <laughs> I imagine that Jesus folded it. He just so, he rose, he woke up, he got up, and he took that. And I, that just makes me love him even more. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, because I like things neat and folded. I, I mean, I fold my towels the same way, the same way my mother taught me. It's like three folds over. So if I open the, the, the cabinet where the towels are and somebody's not folding them the way that I want them folded, I stop and refold them. But I just think that's just fascinating. And why just the cover of his face? Well, I have to ask him that. That's <laughs> <laughs> one of the questions. We'll understand mm -hmm. it better by and by. Yeah. Yeah. It's just there's so much detail in the scripture. It's so it's so amazing. So I would imagine, uh, and we weren't there. We weren't there. Well, you might have been. I, I wasn't there. I would imagine that when he, when he rose, he, obviously you're going to take off the wrapping on your face. Otherwise, you're going to, you know, you're not going to be mobile. And of course, he could, he was God. He could do anything. But so he probably folded that. But whatever he was wrapped in clothes-wise under that he was he was naked and so the angels had to have brought him some clothes to put on and so they probably adorned him but the face thing well the one the one commentary that I looked at I did look at one of them and it said the speculation was that the the angels had picked it up and folded it and laid it nicely there. But how did they know? They weren't there. No, they don't know no, no. No, and I guess it doesn't really matter. I just think that it's... I think when he when he arose and his body, light from the Lord, from God, came back into his body, you know, if you, if you wake up, let's say you were shrouded and all that stuff, what would be the natural thing you'd do? First thing you'd do is you'd take the thing off your head. Yeah. But and if I'm your sure. arms, I mean, don't you think they wrapped him like a mummy? Well, I would imagine that he, he so, did. Yeah. Those things just fell off. Of him. Just like, you know, and Daniel and the, 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 the guys in the fiery mm. furnace, you know. I would imagine that. But again, we weren't there. No, but I bet we could find that handkerchief in one of those Catholic churches in Paris. There, there are probably enough pieces of that cloth throughout Western Europe to create a sail on the Queen Mary. <laughs> yeah, we say that because we we have seen so many relics in mm -hmm. so many of these cathedrals. I marvel, like once we saw the fingers of John the Baptist, the fingernails of some disciple, we saw Mary's breast milk. We didn't see the breast milk. We saw the container that supposedly held her breast milk. Um, all kinds of interesting relics that they keep under lock and key that you can actually oftentimes, if you go down into the, the 
the secret places of the cathedral you can actually see. If you pay. Yeah, if you pay. Yeah. So, Saint-Chapelle. Saint-Chapelle, yeah. Beautiful place that was built to house relics. When we went in there, we were engaged in warfare. Yeah. Um, that place had a lot of them. And the, 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 the place in Milan had a lot of them. We went, we paid to go up and to see all the stuff because it was a beautiful building. It wasn't to see this crazy stuff, but it was yeah. to behold the building and pray. Um, Incidentally, a little trivia that I did not know until I actually went, but when we went to Milan, we made arrangements to go see the original Last Supper painting by Leonardo da Vinci. And you kind of would expect it to be in the Louvre or in some famous museum, but the original painting is painted on the wall of like the basement. The cafeteria. Yeah, it's like it's it's like the cafeteria. I don't necessarily think was it the cafeteria when he painted it? Yeah, that's why he painted the the supper. Oh the too. supper, okay. But it's just like it's not very big. It's kinda like when you see the Mona Lisa for the first time, you just of course that's in the Louvre and it's got a beautiful gilded frame and there's a thousand people standing around it just looking at it. But it's fairly small and somewhat nondescript, except her eyes do follow you. But the Last Supper, that was that was pretty fascinating to see it painted on the wall, just like on a white wall, in the basement of this building. You literally walk down these narrow stairs into the basement of this building, and they let you stand there and look at this Last Supper. Um, it's fascinating, truly. Yeah, we almost got bombed into oblivion during World War II. Yeah, it's amazing that they could have preserved it yeah. the way that they have. Probably one of the most, if the, not the most famous paintings in history, I would say. Yes, I think so. I, mean, I was just looking at the, the relics that are supposedly housed in Saint-Chapelle. Tell the us. Crown of Thorns, supposedly. That's right. And, um, which is amazing thing. Genevieve's finger is there. And uh, Didn't we see like the fingernails of John the Baptist or? Oh yes. We've yeah seen I remember we saw some fingers. Those Catholics were active. They had all kinds of stuff. Pieces of the cross. But the breast milk that, that kind of pushed me over yeah, the edge. Kind of I thought first of all I don't know. <laughs> Strange. It's like, did she pump and then just hand it over to, to somebody and said, "He'll here preserve this. Somebody will want to see this in a museum in the year 2020." Well, it's funny because at the time Constantine's mother uh, got converted, and then she went to Jerusalem. That was what the year 300 something. I mean. Somebody showed up here now and said, "Hey, you know, what do you have from Ben Franklin when he was a little boy?" That's not even 300 years. Um, who, what's the likelihood that you would? 
especially after Jerusalem was absolutely obliterated by the Roman legions, and then they were, they had battle back and forth. Um, some people made a whole lot of money selling those, those crazy things. Um, but we digress. Peace. I don't. I doubt that Jesus would walk in there and say, "Peace." First of all, that doesn't belong to me. <laughs> <laughs> nice handiwork, though. Yeah, he'd probably start kicking over the money tables. Ooh, that's true. Um, yeah, I miss. It's been how long since we've. In particularly in Paris, um, it's just we, we pray for those countries and um, we, we look forward to what God's going to do. But the point for us, though, is it's almost like there's been a great reset and things that. God has withheld for this time frame are going to be released and they're going to be built on the foundation of things that have been taught and established and the principles of pneumaticos function that are in the scripture. Um, those foundational things are there, but we're going to see things that God has reserved for this hour and the peace that the shalom of his um, of his accomplishment and his victory. There's going to be a lot of culminative points of victory that are going to be known. But tribulation in this world, you have tribulation. This will be challenging. Events that are happening in the demonic realm and manifesting in people that are serving the enemy. Uh, you know, I was, I was hearing the warnings about the artificial intelligence that Musk and others have been saying, you know, they're, they're saying you better shut this down. That's amazing that they would be saying that. Mm -hmm. well, we've seen those Terminator movies and, and things that talk about how AI really uh, kind of took over the world. And I, I was, you know, the, the, the beast with the, the, the statue, the idol of the beast that speaks and whatever. And now we know that's gonna be demonic, but, and, but we know that there are things, like I talked about that, those performers, um, those robotic performers in Japan that thousands of people go to see, and it, it's just lifelike. Um, these things are hatching all around us and the intent is to eliminate the church and to create a, a substructure for the enemy to be worshipped but these are the days we're living in and the great visitation of the spirit that is promised will come in those days of preparation and then There'll be some climactic battles that I believe we're going to see. 
and, and be participating in for the kingdom spiritual battles amazing just just sobering sobering but like you said the best of times the worst of times I know that that we've been in this walk for what 25 years now and sometimes I wish that we had documented better but we have so much documentation just in the bookstore with just a line upon line revelation that God has given us that has been our marching orders but these last several years I would say since the pandemic since the that that hit I know personally the things that, that the Lord has had me walk through have been preparing me for those days. And, you know, sometimes you think, you know, Lord, how much more? I mean, but at the same time, He uses all things to train and to develop us and it's just so important I know that I'm constantly just trying to find meaning to the things that I walk through and I know that it's the same you know it's the same for all of us the things that you walk through the things that um, any number of us because thankfully we are close and we do share and we pray for one another and less and less I'm looking at things as yeah a lot of times it's enemy driven and it's just assault but in some way the Lord will use it to strengthen us to refine us to prepare us for the bigger things <laughs> and talk about sobering and I, I guess the moral to the story goes back to his presence and goes back to finding that measure of peace in his presence which you know we talk about peace we understand that the definition is completion and it's the fulfillment of his ways and 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 that but it's 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 i mean he is peace he's the prince of peace so it's in so many ways the essence of who he is and that's in us i don't know i just know that i don't want to freak out <laughs> you know what i mean i don't i don't want to Every time I get fearful or every time I start feeling emotions that aren't productive, I'm constantly trying to learn how to redirect that. And, you know, you talk about the fruits of the Spirit that are within us, and they're everything contrary to what this world gives, everything contrary to those negative emotions or those things that would try to trip us up. And... We got to know what's in us, guys. 
we got to know. We got to know our maker, our creator, the spirit that's within us and how we connect and partner with that. And from that place, we have to function. We can't function from any other place. Of course, with our mind submitted to that spirit and, and walking and, and understanding and wisdom to know what to do, how to respond and to go forward. But all this teaching about the spirit within is so crucial and so timely for us. Been, um, it's been we've been here the, the, the things that God has been showing over the past few years have been more I don't know I, I, I guess it, I don't want to be too linear with this but for so many years, God was really explaining things, giving us definitions, showing us how to utilize certain aspects of what He says in His Word. And there's been a lot of really wonderful experiences we've had. But, but I felt like Maybe it was the COVID break. I don't know. Maybe it was a little before that. We started getting into a point where we were learning more partnership applications of the word. More operative things that utilized and brought together the elemental, yet yeah, deep, Mumadakas principles that we have been taught and trained. And it, it's just even like in prayer, as much as we've known in the past, being before the throne and dealing with the angelic, I, I still felt almost like at that point we were, we were being used to the Lord, but it was almost like we were an apprentice uh, as I look back on it. Which is not a bad thing to be. You have to start somewhere. Yeah. But but now it seems like the things that he's teaching us are, are it's all been personal. But more more personal than uh, I'm not saying this very well. Just like even the most recent one when we talked about the the Beatitudes and the uh, Poor in Spirit. Mark, Mark, um, what's the word? Marcus. Makarios. Um, uh, that, that idea of the duality where you really should be partnering in the heavens. And then the poor in spirit business. To me, that that is so personal because again it is God showing us his vulnerability where he was stolen from 
the, the plan that he had, the inheritance plan for us, but it was him, it was his, mm -hmm. was stolen. And your poor in spirit begins there. Mm -hmm. And anything that happens in us is in conjunction with that. Um, and, and on and on, you know, the, the things, it probably began and shifted when that vision of Elohim and when we talked and, and God was showing us more about the depth, we had felt his heart, we had known his heart, thank God for that. But, but he started opening it up to showing a vulnerability to him. It wasn't like, as wonderful as this is, I'm not, I'm not denigrating it at all, it, it's precious. But he would welcome us into the secret place of thunder and the secret places of his heart and these things that he was showing us. But it seems like the, the revelations from his word so often now are him revealing things about himself. From the word, the vulnerabilities of God and how he's allowing us to bless him and to minister to him, which, in fairness, we were ministering on behalf of him and with him, and albeit altruistically, we were then ministering to him because we were doing that. Now, so many of the things he's showing are from the word about himself and his vulnerabilities. And that is a rare blessing. Not to take away from any of the precious things that we've known in the past. I'm not saying these are better. What I'm saying is that it's it's the it is the way God has led us. He didn't leave with that. He didn't leave saying, Let me show you how I've been. You know, we can see that linearly. You can see the rebellion of him. But now it's a more personal. Look look at this in the scripture. Look at this in the scripture. See God himself. Um, how we can scripturally minister to him. And, and you know, another thing I've been thinking about, and I'll, I'll find this, I probably shouldn't even say this, but that incense that we, you know, when we pray, the prayers of the saints, we talk about how it's an aroma, and how it's like a, a perfume comes into the nostrils of the Lord. I've been feeling it's more than that. I've been feeling like it's it's almost as if you know if, if what we're praying and this is true is the um, the ingredients of, of the anointing oil and if what we're praying is the the incense of his will that needs to be done what is his will to be done right now? What is the essence of the saints? It's to restore what he originally intended. And you can't separate God's will from himself. 
we just can't. And I, I'm wondering whether that incense isn't just a fragrance of devotion and service and intercession. You know, we're praying His will, the mysterions of His will. I'm wondering if it's not something that ministers to the woundings, that ministers to those vulnerable places where rebellion hit. Because we've had people that have done egregious things that have deeply wounded. Now you don't, you can't have an unforgiveness. You can't have that. But we know that that creates pain there in, inside of us. And, and if we're created in the image of God and we are, that has to be also where God is. And so I guess what I'm saying is if we're praying about His will, as we're praying about His purpose being restored and done, I, I've been feeling like in some ways that is more than the necessity of intercession and all things begin with a voice. That there's some way that that ministers to the feelings deep within our Father that happened when these betrayals and these rebellions and these blasphemies from creatures that He created and gave everything that they were. It seems to me that perhaps in some way that also ministers to him beyond the obedience, beyond the perfume of our devotion. Uh, perhaps it's some kind of an essential balm that we can minister to the one we love where he lets us in there to touch those places that, that have been I don't even say wounded, I can't even describe what it is. The, the, the feeling of that the feeling of that iniquity, the feeling of that betrayal, which is painful. That's more painful than anything else, isn't it? You know, we we've both known physical pain. We don't want to know it anymore. We're not inviting it. We've known that. And it's not comfortable. But that in, in retrospect, it's nothing to compare with some of the pain that I have felt um, in my, my emotions or feelings. This is a weird topic, isn't it? <laughs> but I feel like, that I, I guess what strung this out is that I feel like our, our prayers, our incense does more than just create spiritual phenomenons that draw God to us. I like that smell. It's in oh, here, give me some sugar. Give me some sugar, Sam. It's interesting that you're talking about this. As you talk, I'm reminded of a couple things. One is, I remember, and I forgive me because I'm not great with timelines sometimes, but it was when we came together 
at the beginning of this new season of intercession where we knew the Lord was drawing us into a deeper, not, not just a deeper responsibility, a deeper place in him. Remember that? And our first gathering, and I'm speaking of here at the Father's Church, but many of you join with us on Wednesday nights when we do gather. But I remember that first Wednesday night. I don't even think that we had like a specific directive other than just to come and present ourselves to the Lord for whatever he has for us going forward, whatever, however he's choosing for us to partner with him. And I remember the overwhelming feeling that I had at one point, we were all laying in the altar when I, I sat up and I looked and I saw the saints on their faces. I saw the saints just, just surrendered and submitted. And I felt the pleasure of God's heart. Like in a way that was, it's almost like I just, it's, it's almost like he just opened his heart and allowed me to step in and feel what that was like for him. And it was like kind of life-changing for me because it's not so much about what we do. It's about who we are and our hearts towards him, even though our function comes through that. But it was, it was such a powerful, um, I don't know. So I wonder if that wasn't like an opening in some ways. But then too, I think about, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been reading through Leviticus and, you know, all the offerings and the sacrifices and things like that. This morning I was reading, I was thinking, it's a good thing I was not born during that time and, and called to be a priest because all the body parts and the blood and the sprinkling and the eating and all of that just, it's hard for me to even read, especially at five in the morning. But anyway, I wonder, because doesn't, when those offerings are made, doesn't it talk about how it's a sweet savor before the Lord? I know that's not the ingredients of incense, but I do know that is symbolic of the sacrifice that he made. And, and so, in some ways, I think our life is an offering um, to accept, I guess, in a point of identification with what he did for us in that, that point of sacrifice. And you think about Jesus, you think about Jesus, fully man, fully God, walk that walk, knowing fully the end from the beginning, what he had to go through from the time, I mean, he knew. So talk about dread. I mean, can you imagine as fully man knowing what you were walking towards? And yet he did it without sin. He did it without complaint. He did it in such incredible grace. But you do, you think about the sacrifice of Jesus and the pain and the suffering and the beating and the scourging and the crown of thorns and all of that. And it's almost unbearable to think about. But then you think about the Father. You talk about the pain you've experienced in your life. The Probably the greatest trigger point of your pain is if your child is suffering or your grandchild or were, you know, hurt or whatever. So to think about the, the father and I don't know. 
it's it's what he had to have experienced in that moment watching his son knowing that was a requirement of him for him to do what he did but I do I, I wonder about that measure of sacrifice that measure of us giving ourselves um, in that point of identification it being not only pleasing to the Lord but a sweet offering um, of incense I don't know these are some deep topics deep Deep oh, calls unto deep. deep. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, it's so it's it's very interesting. Um, I uh, just uh, when we were talking, it just stirs up um, lots of questions, which I think are. Um, are invitations for God to show us some things. So, so Jesus is Emmanuel, which is Halloween with, with us. us. And so he's fully God. So he's basically the heart of God. And he's saying to the Father, I've come to do your will, which would, would, would complete the circuit that that juncture the father is representative of Yahweh which is the same ladder of Jacob Elohim here and then looking down from heaven is, is Yahweh and so but that's God himself it's his son yes but is it also that glory that he knew from the beginning what God intended for sons and was it God actually living among us um, feeling the pain of sonship you know you could just you could modicize this and then when he's on the cross Jesus cries out Eloi Eloi Sabachthani that Aramaic derivation of hell Elohim, why, why have you forsaken me? That that still baffles me because we often say that it was God um, not looking upon because of sin, and I don't I don't believe that because God wasn't going to take His eyes off His Son. I wonder if that was not, in essence, if as Jesus came to restore that privilege of sonship, um, if that wasn't him at that point enunciating what it felt when that privilege of true sonship that God ordained from the foundation of the world was ripped from him because of rebellion. Mm. And if it, if it wasn't at that point that he, that he cried out as darkness came, um, if, it, if that was not a feeling of the original tearing of that plan that God had for sons, for us to know Him as Elohim, which is really where the sons should be. Yes, we do. We're to do the will of the Father, but you don't. 
and you learn of him through doing, but the intimacy of knowing him is in his heart. And I think that's where he's leading us into, which is that, again, to go back to the dream given for this house. God gives lots of dreams. To see Elohim over there, that was God saying, okay, I'm going to draw you into this deep place. You've known me there. You've experienced this. But now I'm going to open myself. And I, I wonder about that point on the cross where he cried out in that way. If that was not an expression of Elohim himself um, crying out for at that sacrifice so that that sonship could, could be known. I don't know. But see, you have to view you have to view the stations of the cross. You have to view those hours on the cross through what he's shown us in his word about his true agenda. And we, we know this. Most of the church will come and rejoice and they should over the, over the salvation that's provided through the cross and only through the cross. We share that but we look at it as through the eyes of sonship, through the things that are shown in the word because we know that the cross itself was not just for people to wear around their neck or to drag through uh, city on Good Friday. The cross itself is an operative possession point for the histemes and the, the type of tree as we learned at the seminar. The, the, the specific type, the reference of tree is to, to draw up mm. out of the histemes to, to show. I don't know. These, these are good days, but, it, it, but the wonderful thing we have his word we have the spirit that's guiding us into truth but there's more there about ministry it wasn't just paying the price it was God himself on that cross it was that aspect of Emmanuel Elohim on that cross and when he cries out as Emmanuel Eloi, Eloi, why have you forsaken? He was there. Elohim was there. So it's not like God shut off the Elohim switch. It was an expression of God in that sacrifice for us to know him in that way. Anyway, I'm rambling man. We have five minutes left. Um, what uh, what do you Katie just told me that our volume is not that great I don't know why hello it's both of us too late to fix now hi Katie but um, also for the few that have contacted me Olivia Zafus in Switzerland we bless you Olivia yeah. And ha Haley in West Virginia. Hey, Haley. Haley. We bless you too, sister. I don't know who else is with us today other than Kate. Hi, Kate. <laughs> I heard from 
Martha Jo that Pastor Pam's surgery on her knee went well. She's asking for prayer now. Oh yeah? Yeah. She's in a lot of pain, but the Lord's the Lord's Lord's gonna relieve her. Um Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, we're about out of time. Um tomorrow we'll have Wednesday night live. This coming Friday we here at the church and we'll have communion prepared and throughout the day people can come and spend time with the Lord. Um, I'm so grateful we don't have a choir anymore. <laughs> you would be here rehearsing every night this week. You have a performance on Friday night. You have a big performance on Sunday. It would just be exhausting, as it always was. And aren't you glad you don't have that obligation in your life at this point in time? <laughs> yes. It was good, though, while it lasted. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, it served a purpose at that time. Yes. And we were, we were different people back then. Well, we've been, we've been transformed in so many ways since those days, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, what did we do? I know Christmas, we did the living Christmas tree. We did tree a few times, yeah. Yeah. I, trying to remember what we did on Easter. The cantata. We did all kinds of. The cantata, yes. All kinds of things. Yeah. We did um, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, which oh, yeah. you had a prominent <laughs> role in. Yes. Um, we did that Pentecost production. Yes. Rachel spearheaded that, and that was really good. Um, I, I, was, I was regaling the story not long ago to some friends about... Um, when Noah was, he was born on December 2nd, and so we had the Christmas production like the following weekend. And somehow, some way, the baby Jesus that they normally would use, they couldn't find the arms, or it was missing an arm. And I remember it was Olivia, who was only like three, almost four who came running to tell me that baby Jesus was missing his limbs. <laughs> and that's when they called and asked if, if or Rachel called and asked if, if, <laughs> if we would mind if they could borrow Noah. It was like, a, like an end call, like, is there any way we don't have our baby Jesus is missing his arms? Could we possibly? But I know they look for those limbs all afternoon. I can just imagine what it would be and that's how, yeah. Olivia no. has always been wooden. <laughs> I can imagine the vibrancy of that appeal. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> okay, well, God bless all of you. Have a happy week and uh, reflection of what Christ has done for us and what he continues to do. And like I said, we'll look forward to reaching out tomorrow. And... Uh, God bless all of you. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye.
Goodbye.